Hi, welcome to Were the Kids Alright, a podcast where we analyze the books we read as kids. My name is Jacqueline and I use they, them, or she, her pronouns. My name is Sophie and I use she, her pronouns. We're two corporate drones who read a lot as children and now have thoughts. We will get into spoilers, so that's your warning for that. This week, we read content warnings. Oh, right. We don't have the... It's not written down. It's fine. Okay. We're good. We're going to keep moving. So our content warnings are basically the same as they have been. I'm just going to read through them real fast. Absent parents, abusive and negligent parents, dead parents, kids in danger, so many kids in danger, kidnapping, discussion of sexual assault, exploitative power dynamics, white supremacy and Nazis, the living dead, and the Greek pantheon and religion. This week, we also get to throw in some fun, spicy, major character death. Woot, say that again. Specifically major characters for this book, not like our main, main, main characters, but you know. Yes, but they do have a lasting impact on the series as a whole. Yes, yes. Okay. But I was confused when Sophie first told me that we should add that as a content warning. Yes. (laughs) Okay, well, this week we read The Titan's Curse by Rick Ryan. This is the third book in the original Percy Jackson series, which takes place a year and a half after the second book. Remember when Thalia came back to life? Well, she sure is present and powerful and sort of Percy's friend. I mean, of course they're friends, but Percy is low-key jealous that there's another chosen one to this whole 16th birthday prophecy thing. Uh, But don't worry, Percy is focused on another girl, Annabeth, who he clearly has a crush on, and Aphrodite confirms. (laughs) Annabeth and Percy are just getting into some good dancing when monsters attack and Annabeth gets captured by the Kronos crew, well, the newly freed Atlas, mostly. Luckily, they don't get Nico and Bianca, two half-bloods Percy and co. were trying to recruit, but they do get Artemis, who has a large role to play in a winter solstice god convention, and, um... So then, Artemis and Hunters take Sanctuary and Camp Half-Blood, but not before they recruit Bianca, um, and Percy thinks this is very selfish. Because uh, <laughs> she's leaving her brother. Yes. Uh, Zoe, the lead Huntress, gets a quest to rescue Artemis and Bianca, um, and then Thalia... Wait, wait, wait. She's not rescuing Bianca. Bianca goes with her. Right, okay. Bianca, so, Thalia, <laughs> Grover, and Percy yes. go along with. Yes. So, so Percy isn't originally supposed to go. They fight monsters as usual, but it doesn't always go well. At one point, Bianca sacrifices herself to save the group. And when they finally get to Artemis, Zoe is killed by her own father, Atlas. They rescue Annabeth. Uh, Thalia pushes Luke off of a mountain. Don't worry, he's still alive. Boo. And Percy forces Atlas to hold up the sky again. Thalia is about to turn 16, but don't worry, she joins Artemis and her hunters and prevents her birthday. So they now have two more years for the prophecy, and the gods have time to prepare. But then Nico turns out to be the son of Hades, and Percy is like, nah, not putting anyone through this again. I'm the chosen one, and I'm not, and if not, I'm going to make it so. And then that's the end. I love the ending of this book because it's like Percy is like claiming the prophecy as his own and it's not for the selfish reasons that he's been like wanting to be the center of attention for like the last two books. It's like he's specifically doing it so Nico can have an easier life and it just makes me so soft inside. Yeah, whatever. You okay? When we last recorded, you were complaining about no character growth in Percy. This is the biggest character growth we've ever seen. Okay, I cannot contest that. Um, damn straight you can't. Okay, let's talk about our uh, backgrounds with this book. Oh, it's the same as the other others. Like, read in middle school. I love it. Um, what not? Well, I read. Do you have specific things? 
I like marathon read these. This is probably why I have struggled to remember them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember the third one. I, as I was reading it, it was coming back to me a little bit more. It was really funny talking to Sophie when she first started reading it versus like a day later when she remembered more. And I was just like, I wanted her to not remember how the book ended because that would have been so funny. But she did. Yeah, but even if I didn't remember, I remember because I got a sense like, oh, this character is going to die. Yeah, it's it. It's very Rick Gordon is not a subtle writer. Yeah, I was really... You don't introduce two random characters and then have a prophecy that says the two are going to die and not realize that those are the two that are going to die. Because everyone else needs plot armor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Fair. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I do remember this book because I did enjoy, I like this book better than the others, I remember, specifically because Percy was not the only chosen one, <laughs> and so we got, we had Thalia there to kind of like humble Percy a little bit. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I thought it was really annoying how jealous Percy was, but at the same time I was like, you know what, serves you right, you don't get to be special all the time. <laughs> I also really like the conflict between the two of them because it felt kind of similar to the conflict we get between Percy and Annabeth in the very first book where it's like their parents are butting heads all the time so they butt heads but this is even more so because it's Zeus and Poseidon who are like the two top dogs I don't think that it's really about their parents they're kind of like well I feel like the way that the sort of but the way that the I feel that the book presents it is that the kids end up taking on, like, the personalities of their parents, sort of. Gross. (laughs) In, not, okay, (laughs) not the personalities, but, like, Talia gets more respect because she is the daughter of Zeus. That is true. And she has, she's more powerful because of that. And Poseidon has Percy and Percy's like similar but like their their confrontation feels very realistic because like Percy was the top dog till Talia came around and like now she's suddenly top dog just because her dad is more powerful mm-hmm. yeah let's increase global inequality by adding um godly hierarchies into it that's a fair point <laughs> yeah oh I feel like this book had one of the most i mean we'll get to it in the last book as well but this book has one of the most outrageous and angering parts about children of aphrodite with the capture the flag with the huntress hunters oh where um so apparently daughters the kids of aphrodite don't like the hunters because um, the hunters, basically, in order to become a hunter, you have to, like, swear off men and swear off growing up forever mm-hmm. and be an eternal maiden, the same as Artemis. And I will talk about my problems with how Rick Rorden writes them in a bit. Yeah. But with Aphrodite's children, they specifically don't like that because, you know, Aphrodite's all about love. Um, so they're like, why would you want to swear off the potential of love which you know valid a valid criticism i think but it's kind of presented as like oh they're only getting involved with capture the flag and they're only getting even marginally into it because of this conflict 
and it's like specifically pointed out that they all need help putting on their armor and whatnot yeah as if they're not good fighters and they don't care about fighting just because their mom is aphrodite yeah also love is one of the greatest fuels for fighting yeah so and later on in this book we get the scene where percy meets aphrodite and he is terrified of her Mm-hmm. so like if anything her children should be terrifying but they aren't They're they presented aren't as shallow and stupid which like it's such a shallow interpretation of aphrodite and i hate it it felt like it felt like a very offensive interpretation of teenage girls yes that is exactly it and that actually gets even worse in the heroes of olympus series the sequel series where one of the main characters is a daughter of aphrodite Mm -hmm. but she's different because she doesn't care about how she looks and she doesn't like makeup no yep that's horrible okay so we did not com- completely finish the backgrounds of the book situation, but oh. um, <laughs> yes, let's stick to the structure. Uh, <laughs> there's just so much to talk about. Only for you, only for you. No, there's um, so much in this book, and I want this episode to be less than two hours. Yes, okay. So I remember liking this book better because, first of all, Rick even though he did it offensively, he was forced to focus more on his um, non-men in this book in general, which I thought was very positive in terms of just, like... Fleshing out the world. Yeah, not even... It didn't, like, flesh them out. Like, they didn't do anything. Like, Mm. we can talk about how good they were as characters, but Mm -hmm. um, I thought that Percy in situationally putting Mm -hmm. him in that situation just like where he's not the center of attention yeah and like not not like going into all these monster battles that feel like very Mm -hmm. (laughs) bro-y so yeah i i like this book a lot better than the other ones and also i liked it this time around because it actually deviated in structure so it was way more interesting because it deviated in structure the stakes were higher because we knew two people were going to die so i thought that that was way more interesting even though i knew who was going to die Mm -hmm. um i will agree with you that the stakes were heightened i was thinking about this and if we stick to what you said last time about how the first two books are the same this is also the same plot where they have to go rescue and find a person. Oh, yes. It's the same plot. It's the same. But it, they do create more interest in that, like, Percy isn't originally supposed to go on the quest, and people are... That's the same thing the Sea of Monsters. That's true. No, the different thing is that it's a different <laughs> time of year. That's the main difference. <laughs> That's the main thing that makes a difference, is that it's a different time of it's year. It's winter so it instead of like summer. it feels like a very different environment at camp. I guess. Not really. Well, I guess there's less campers at camp. Yeah, and also, like, that you add the hunters into it. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, I think it's the hunters that do it more than anything. Yeah. Because, so, the hunters are immortal after they take their oath. The only way they can die is if they fall in battle. So, like, they just add a completely different dimension to the story. Um, in, like, we get immortal kids for once which is kind of cool yeah and something i also really liked about the hunters is that they mentioned how um 
like mortals could join. Yes. Which I thought was so cool. I was like, finally, something that mortals can do. Yeah. <laughs> um, we meet another really cool mortal in this book, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Yeah, she gets sure. big in the next book. Okay, cool. Do you remember what happens with her? <laughs> no idea. Oh, goody. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember her at all. Oh, I love her so much. Yeah. Well, okay. This will be a small bit. I love her as a character as she grows and by herself. I don't like what she becomes in Percy's life. And I don't like the... um, We'll talk about it in the last book. We'll talk about it later on. Wait, is this... this is there, like, a weird love triangle thing? Yeah, there's kind of a weird love triangle thing, and I really hate it. Oh, my gosh. Why? It's really stupid. It's middle grade. You're not even trying to get the same commercial it, value. It makes sense when we get to the last book, and he, he like, expli- like Percy explicitly thinks about this, and he knows it's a stupid love triangle thing, but oh he gets God. over it. We're fine. Whatever. He still ends up with Annabeth, which is great. Well, yes. I hate <laughs> love triangles when there's, like, you... There's... You can't get invested in another person because it's just a deviation. I will say, I know this is, like, spoiling the next two books, basically, for the relationship, but doesn't matter. We all know that Percy and Annabeth end up together in the end. Yeah, that's why I said it's a deviation, so you can't get invested. like, yes, but it's also almost in the narrative it's treated like a deviation, where it's not so much that he's into Rachel herself. He thinks she's cool, but Percy more so likes hanging out with her because she's a mortal and like has a different life than he does Mm -hmm. and doesn't have the same stress whereas like when he's with annabeth it's like monsters all the time which is like a valid feeling and he more so assigns his desires for a normal life to rachel and she kind of represents that for him and it is treated as a distraction type of thing but i think it's okay in this i i like the way that it's handled but i also don't (laughs) yeah i just oh yeah um yeah i thought this book was better i agree it was it was different it was a little bit more different i thought the the monster fights in the middle were still very boring because nothing they was just like fight monster fight monster fight monster now we're at the end i had completely forgotten about the scene where they fight the giant metal monster guy yeah, that was that was rough. It was, it, like I know that's where Bianca dies, mm-hmm. but it's so forgettable. It's such a forgettable scene. Yeah, and the fact that she dies just because she picks up something she's not supposed to or tries to take it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't get why the monster didn't stop attacking after she threw it down. Yeah, like that was a sensible thing for them to have her do. Yeah. Once she admitted to it, and I don't understand why that didn't stop it. She needed to, they needed to kill her. I don't. I guess. (laughs) I mean, she was, the thing that I really do hate about this whole plot line is that she is basically a device Mm -hmm. for Nico's story. Yeah, and it doesn't get better. It's so messed up. Yep. Especially if you consider the gender politics of it. That's a fair point. I will say, okay, so we find out 
um, in this book that Bianca and Nico are actually way older than they seem. Yeah. And they ha- they were stuck in the Lotus Hotel where Percy and Annabeth and Grover got trapped for a bit in the first book. They were stuck there for decades. Um, we don't find out how yeah. long in this book, but in later on, we've, it, I don't remember if it's the, I think it might be the next book, but we find out that it's like 50 so years that they were stuck there. Yeah. Also, something I did like was that Hades didn't break the oath. Yes, yeah. So we find out that because it was so long ago, it was before the oath was taken. So Hades still hasn't um, broken the oath. And we find out that the only reason he hid his children for so long was because of the prophecy and because Zeus was trying to kill them because of the prophecy. Um, We don't find that out in this book. That's later. Yeah, should have stayed in the Lotus Hotel for just slightly longer. Yeah, so actually, (laughs) I think it is very likely the reason why he took them out of the hotel. It probably happened during the first or second book, because they haven't been at that school for very long, Mm -hmm. when we meet them in the very beginning. So I think he took them out of the Lotus Hotel because of Percy. Yeah, okay, so, but it is a completely unrealistic that they would be in there for decades, and then when they come out, it's like, oh, whatever, everything's fine, whatever, the world's completely changed, and there weird, there's weird technology everywhere, but it's okay, we're just alone at school. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're exposed to that much technology, because they go to that weird military school, and that, I don't... It doesn't matter, even the littlest change would be a lot. That's fair. There's so much that has happened. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. Very odd stuff. But um, Bianca and her brother, like, they only have each other in this world. They don't remember their mother at all. They don't know that their father is Zeus. Um, But Bianca is, how old is she? Like, 12? No. 13, 14? 14. I thought she was younger than... Percy? Percy. Then she's 13. I thought that Nico was 10. And she was oh, she. Okay, wait. I was thinking that Nico was 12. No, yeah, I mind. thought that Nico was 10 and she was 12. That makes sense. Yes. Unless. She, is she 11? No, she's. They're two, two year difference. Okay, at okay. least. Okay, you're right. Okay, so, anyways, she's 12. She's had to basically raise her brother for years. Yeah. Even if they were stuck in the hotel, they were all that the other had. Yeah, and then she just joins up with Artemis. She's like, Which makes so fine. much sense. It makes so much sense knowing that. I like don't I think don't ag- it does. I don't agree with her choice, but I understand why. She doesn't want the responsibility. That is a weird thing to have happen without knowing the characters at all at that point so early on in the book. I will say like, I was surprised it, how fast she joined the hunters. It was it's too fast, especially cuz she's literally just learning about the gods existing yeah she kind of takes it all in stride yeah it does it it makes no sense that is something that they did she even really need to be a hunter for the the plot to work no not really no she didn't she also really should not have gone on the quest she 
she shouldn't have. And she Zoe could have just been a, like a, hey, come with me and I'll try to recruit you. So that that could have That would have made more sense, actually. I honestly thought that she didn't join until they got to camp. Like, I thought she spent more time with them. <laughs> no, that but was like no. She meets them and then she has like one conversation with Artemis and joins. And I think part of it is like they literally, like Artemis separates her from her brother and like talks to her for hours until she convinces her it's it's kind of messed up well i mean everything that these gods do are messed up luke is right true a goddess say my obligatory luke is right oh my goodness (laughs) but like also i super understand like the character motivation in and of itself like she's an older sister who is tired of being her brother's only friend and having her brother be her only friend. Like, it makes sense. It would make sense if there was even an ounce of character, just even introduction, honestly, before that happened. I feel like we got enough to understand where she was coming from. Yeah, maybe with the context of the entire series. I mean, not even that. She's only really... We only really see her in this book, but I feel like... Yeah, but if you know Nico later... Mm, no. But... Because Nico later on in the series is a result of Bianca's death. Okay, I legit thought... Okay, so I will give you that there was an explanation and that the explanation makes sense, but it was executed very poorly. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that her dying in this book as, like, it really is treated as a catalyst of Nico's story, which is super shitty. She's a plot device. Yeah, a little bit. A lot of bit. I will say, I like how Zoe immediately takes her under her wing and is like, you are a powerful demigod, you could be the next lieutenant. I liked that part, and I feel like if we had gotten more of her and Zoe's interaction on screen, mm-hmm. she would feel less like a plot device. Yeah, well, also, if we had a thing where she was getting recruited later on, then we would show Zoe trying to convince her, and we could show more character over that period of time as yeah. she's trying to be convinced. I guess. And then we could see more of the conflict but like hey like i know this is kind of that would almost be really shitty for nico shittier for nico like his sister leaves camp she doesn't she like joins the hunters and then dies (laughs) so percy has to come back and be like hey not only is your sister dead but right before she died (laughs) well percy wouldn't tell him that part i feel like he would percy is an omitter no, no, I feel like he's an admitter where he would just keep talking and eventually he'd admit all of this stuff. <laughs> he would try to omit it at first. Well, to be honest, I don't know what Percy is because three books in, still don't really understand oh my God. his character. <laughs> I don't really understand him. Like, what are you <laughs> expecting? I'm conf- At this point, I am confused what you want. Because I don't understand. He doesn't... I feel like he is well-defined. I think I could not fill out a basic elementary school character sheet about him. What are the points on those basic elementary school character sheets? Uh, Strengths, weaknesses, core motivation. Okay, strengths, weaknesses, core motivation. His core motivation 
has always been his friends and family. And that's will everyone, always be. That's everyone's core motivation. But we find out in this book that it is literally his fatal flaw. So it is his motivation more so than anyone else's. Annabeth, her core, core motivation is not only like her friends and whatnot. It's also that she wants to build something permanent and be remembered. But that, Percy just wants to protect his friends and family. Yeah, okay, so Annabeth has one more, which automatically makes her more interesting in terms of her motivation than Percy. Because friends and family, like, that is... I'll give you that it's less interesting, it's but you speci- can't say that it's not defined. Sure, it's defined, but it's defined for everyone else, too, and we don't get anything else from Percy. <sighs> we get nothing. It's possible he's a better defined character when you're viewing him from no, he's someone at, else's perspective. No, he's worse when you view him from someone else's perspective. Okay, but I just do not get He's so much all. more of a Gary Stew when you view him from an outside perspective. Yeah. When you're inside his head, you see his weaknesses a lot more because a lot of his weaknesses are internal in that he doubts himself despite all of his um, experience and whatnot. He still doubts himself and, like... Does he doubt himself? Yes. Did you I notice it, like, occasionally. He doubts himself and he feels a lot of guilt. He feels a lot of guilt whenever he does make a rash decision. When? when with the whole annabeth thing at the beginning of this book the thing okay (laughs) here's the thing yes sure he feels these things but they're like felt for a moment and then forgotten i don't think so and then yeah maybe he'll feel something again but then it's like i strongly disagree it's i think these are moments that happen (laughs) and they do not string together i completely disagree i completely disagree he's so freaking Gary Stew and self-insert. It makes he's a my mind little hurt. bit. He's a little bit Gary Stew and self-insert, but like he's a realistic teenage kid. Like he's a realistic, like thirteen-year-old boy. Like he feels realistic. He, he does feel like a thirteen-year-old boy. I will give you that. But also, he feels like he could be any thirteen-year-old boy. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay, but I think it is uninteresting. I disagree. Especially when you have to do it in first person for the entire series. I think it makes it more interesting that it's in first person. Because you wouldn't get to see all of the little nuances if it was in third person. What nuances? Of his inner workings. (laughs) I don't see any inner workings at all. Oh my god. I feel like you are viewing him more as a vehicle of narration than a character that we get to inhabit his brain. Those are different. Yeah, he is a vehicle of narration. Because that's he all he is. He is more so a character whose brain we get to inhabit. Yeah, sure. But we still don't... We're inhabiting his brain, but his brain isn't... It's just basically... That's completely different. That is him being a character. I feel like you're not seeing him as a character. Yeah, because I can't see him as a character. Then that is have a you problem. Char- it's not a me car- yes, problem. It is. it is a writing problem. He is not well developed but there are thousands of people who would disagree with you so like yeah because these series are popular and you can read into them you can interpret them and of course they're going to be so popular you're going to get little things to read into them it is fun to and i enjoy reading into these books you get bullet points that's it 
for I who think these we are, are fundamentally disagreeing on what makes a good main character. That's okay. I, I that's just fine. I do not think he's a good main character. I will strongly disagree with you on this. You know what he feels like? Who? Uh, or Rin what? from Books of Bairn. No. He feels like Rin. If anything, he feels more like Ani. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. He feels more li- Or Enna. No, he does not feel like Enna. Never no, mind. No, because Enna's too much of a character. No, Enna's just too angry. <laughs> but the point is, I just do not... He's just not a... Comp- he's... I don't understand It's okay him. if you don't find him to be a compelling character, but you, like... I also do not understand him at all. Well, then that's a you thing. Because, like... It shouldn't be this hard. I don't know where you're <laughs> struggling. Like, I literally do not know what you do not understand about this character. He's <laughs> very straightforward. Like, you don't need more depth to him. He just is. Exactly, he that's doesn't, the problem. But he doesn't need to be anything more. Why does he need more? Because it's not interesting. But I think he is. And I think that it makes it a you problem if you don't find him interesting. It doesn't mean he's a bad character. Or even a bad point of view character. I don't think he's a bad character for middle grade. Oh my goodness. That is fair. He is definitely not a character that you would find as the protagonist if a young adult or... Um, you could find some of him uh, yeah, a young adult. Fair enough. You could find him, but he would not be good. This Percy Jackson is way more fleshed out than the majority of young adult fantasy books from the 2013s. That is also fair. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, I just broke this pen. No, well, that is a very low bar. Fair enough. I'll give you that. I think at this point, three books in, if you still can't quote unquote understand his character. I don't think I'm ever going to understand his character. There's literally nothing to understand. You're looking for things that aren't there. Exactly. That's the problem. Why is that a problem? That's a you problem. Where like you're looking this for things that aren't there. This is such a freaking static character. No, he's not. And also, I don't even care if he is. That's. I mean, that's good. Like mission accomplished. I think he's a fine character, and you're just being mean at this point. <laughs> I mean, sure, or you're just yeah. expecting something that just was never going to be there in the first place. I'm just annoyed that there isn't. That all these dark things and all these things are happening, and then there's this big deal prophecy that's happening, and then I don't, like, actually get a sense that he's fully processing anything. Because he's not. That's literally the point of his character. He's not processing that, like, well, he also doesn't know that he could literally die because of the prophecy. But, like... He's not processing it because if he stops to think about it, he will be paralyzed by fear. I mean, I'm not getting that specifically either. Okay, well, that's what it feels like. We're going in circles at this point? We are going in circles, and I have a feeling we're going to have this exact same conversation with the next two books. (laughs) We might have to just stop talking about 
uh, Percy's character. Yeah. Because I feel like you are purposefully not understanding his character. I'm not purposefully not understanding his character. There's nothing to understand. And I feel like you see that as a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I do. Which is a you thing. Not I'm a- not arguing it's a you thing. I'm just saying that it is a... It's not great if you are expecting your book to hit with people other than the target audience. What? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not trying to be mean about this. Mm-hmm. That is the most insane statement that you've ever said to me. Mm-hmm. A target audience exists for a reason, and it's okay if a book is just aimed at the target audience. It doesn't have to hit outside of that. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm basically just saying this is not a Pixar movie. Oh my god! (laughs) Pixar is one of the greatest storytelling things of our generation. Of course it's not Pixar. (laughs) Is that what you're expecting out of this? Because holy shit, unrealistic expectations much. I'm just expecting some more depth from the main character. And see, I don't understand why you're expecting that if you're not also willing to, like, think through the deeper character motivations that you have to think about. But I don't think I'm given much to think about. I think that you are given enough where if you choose to think about things, you can find cool things about this character, which is what I have done and what so many other people have done. I thought his jealousy was interesting. That was it. I feel like this book, his guilt is the more interesting thing and his fear of losing Annabeth, which is we kind of explore his fear of losing his mom in the first book. I got his guilt at the very end. Oh, I saw it from the very beginning. I saw it as soon as Annabeth was lost, he was guilty. Is it possible it's because this audiobook reader is such so bad that I'm just- I think that is a very fair criticism. Yes, I think you are right. The, the audiobook reading for this one in particular, did we re- listen to the same one? Yes. Okay, this one was particularly bad. Because when I read the- when I listened to the fan mm-hmm. of the first one, I felt like he gave Percy a voice. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't feel like this guy was doing. Yeah, this official reader does a terrible job. So it's possible that you are just not catching the minutia of the emotions because the reading isn't great. And I'm catching that because I've thought and read these books multiple times over the years and I love them so much. So that is completely fair. Because he definitely does express guilt as soon as Talia confronts him after they lose Annabeth at the beginning like Uh talia confronts him he's a little bit angry at talia but he's also incredibly saddened and guilty that his actions caused annabeth to be taken Mm -hmm. but also i think that the official audiobook was so bad for this one yeah like so bad also something i do want to recognize is that this is my second read through this is your, like, I don't know how many times you've read it. Third or fourth, probably. 
I will say I've engaged more with the fandom than I have reread it. Yeah. So I also have like that interpretation and lens to read this through. These books are extremely world and plot heavy. Yeah. And so, when you explore those things outside of the context of the text, they're really, really interesting and you can find things that are really cool when you look back on them. Yeah, so because there's just that there's just more attention put on the plot and the world and so Yeah. The characters feel it's a lot harder to notice those things because there isn't as much effort put into them and on a second read through Mm -hmm. it's going to go over my head a little bit especially since it's the poorly read audiobooks (laughs) yeah also the can we just talk about the tyson voice for a second can we also (laughs) talk about dionysus voice That was the that was worst so one. <laughs> I hated it like, so much. Oh, I can't do it. I it was like it. fancy and also old and terrible. It was, and <laughs> it was oh dear. I, that's I it. That's it. You got it. I can't. I can't. It was so bad. It was like Tyson, but with an old timey <laughs> English accent. Tyson's. It was so. Bad. The Tyson accent's also bad. I hate. I love the accent that he gave Zoe. I think that was really funny. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about the way Zoe talks? What the hell? Okay, wait. Do you know why she talks that way? Because she's ancient. Yeah. It's still a what the hell. It's, I think it's so funny. People didn't talk like that. Well, it's because she's literally, like... It's not historically accurate. Well, no, it's because she has lived for so long and she's lived through all of these different languages. And we're back. Sorry, folks. We had banana bread in the oven, so we had to take that out. When we get to eat the banana bread? We'll get to eat the banana bread once it cools. Okay. Um, But before... We unceremoniously paused. Yeah, we were talking about Zoe. (laughs) Yes. So, Zoe is the daughter of Atlas. Yes. Which we don't find out until the very end, but you know, it's very obvious. It's incredibly obvious. I also think that a lot of the things she says earlier on make more sense on a reread type of thing once you know. I think, actually, okay. I don't know, because if you you can see it coming... (laughs) Well, I will say, I think going back to one of our, up to a lot of our previous conversation, where, like, Rick Rorden's books are good on the, are really, really good on the reread if you remember what happens the first time around so that you can find the additional meaning in the foreshadowing that you might not have caught the first time. Yeah, or when he's redoing a myth, or, like, not redo, like, twisting, yeah, a twist yeah. on something. Like, that is something that... If you no, have the context for it, it's it, even cooler. It is, like, that is something that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And that if you, mm-hmm. the thing is, I don't know, I only know a few, so I don't recognize these things when they're happening, and I think it would be much more interesting if I was able to be, if I could recognize it a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. I will definitely say that part of the fun of reading this series for me is recognizing the myths and, like, remembering what the original myth is in my head um and then comparing it while i'm reading it but i also think that just like catching the foreshadowing 
is yeah. really fun. <laughs> to be honest, the things that the thing that this this series like actually like how it changed how I thought about Greek mythology, it just kind of just taught me the names of the gods. That's and like basically fair. what they're kind of about of, sort of yeah that's basically what i got except the it's also kind of wrong some of the things that rick puts in yeah and then i got that in, i got some incorrect knowledge then in my my brain yep yeah yeah talk speaking of that um i really don't love the way that the hunters of artemis are presented in this book really quick yes the is not historic. It's not people. That was oh, okay. informal. Thee and thou is the informal you. It's not the more formal mm. you. It's the informal one. You're so right. I had forgotten about that. So what actually it makes hell? even less sense. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> For the thing sorry. is, I think it's kind of funny. It's really funny. And especially as a kid, when I, like, <laughs> thank you for reminding me of that because I had forgotten that. It was really funny as a kid to read it and be like, oh, she's fancy talking because she's old timey. <laughs> no. And also that was, like, is she from the times of Shakespeare? Well, she's a conglomeration of all the times that she's lived through. And I do think that that confusion <laughs> of time periods is something that's really interesting <laughs> to explore with immortal characters. I thought that that being the only language thing was interesting. True, true, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was it was just wild. Yeah, it's, it sounded so strange. So, for those of you who don't have this context, she would constantly say like, "I will go with thee," <laughs> and yeah. um, I did not tell you thou yet, thou that. Yeah, yeah, more or less. <laughs> <sighs> yes okay artemis go into yeah it. i fucking hate the way the hunters are portrayed because in greek mythology artemis has always had her hunters that's great we love that it's always been maiden women but i feel like we touched upon this in our last episode or maybe we were just talking about it i don't even remember but artemis is the garden of maidenhood specifically for the time of ancient greek greece did we talk about this on our, our in the car in oh the we car. talked about it in the car okay yeah. so we haven't talked about it on the podcast yes yet. great i get to do my whole rant okay so artemis as a goddess makes sense in the context of ancient greece where women had zero power besides being an object to be married off so artemis refusing to ever be married and pursuing hunting as like her main thing a traditionally male endeavor for the time like that is radical it, she is literally the first radical feminist. And not in the way that radical feminism is used today, where it's also associated with, like, being a transphobe. No. We don't like that. The original as in Greece. Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, but, like, it doesn't make sense 
for Artemis to keep that exact same definition of femininity and maidenhood all the way up until present day. It is no longer radical for a woman to just not get married. It's still subversive, but it's not, it doesn't have the same weight as it would have back in ancient Greece. And the whole maidenhood thing is actually regressive. Yes. Yeah, especially in the day and age of like, fuck yeah sexuality stuff. Birth control. Birth control. Birth control kind of does that same, it's kind of is effectively similar. No, it's not. Well, they're defining maidenhood as you are an untouched virgin forever. Okay. What? Which is really messed up, and that is the regressive part that mm-hmm. we hate. And it just, like... It's really shitty. It really sucks. Yeah, and the way that she punishes people if they... Like, she punishes men by turning them into jackals if they even see her. Which is, like... What? I mean, you do you, I guess? Well, the thing is, the gods, they don't change with the times. Which is... I wonder that if that's why the world is so messed up in this context. Yeah. If because the gods aren't changing with the times. They're literally not changing, even though everything is changing around them. They are not... There's no reason for them, because they're in control of the world. They're not... There's, like, they're not... The thing is, they should be growing because they are consistently facing conflicts with each other and mm-hmm. conflicts within the world, which is the great, interesting thing about Greek mythology. And conflict usually results in change in a good story. Yes, but it also seems like they're, they face, they rarely, at least the most powerful gods, they don't really face personal consequences. Their pawns face consequences. It almost feels like in this world, the more powerful you are, the less you likely, the less able you are to change. And that's something, that's not like incredibly untrue for this world either. Yeah. But it just, it feels counterintuitive because it feels like there are only some gods that are held to that where like Apollo is clearly changing all the time. Yes. He goes through poetry phases, as horrible as it is. And Apollo is even, like, the subject... He's the main character in one of Rick Riordan's most recent series. Like, his whole... Like, he gets punished... I haven't actually read them, so... Disclaimer, I have not read these books. I will never read them. Do not tell me if I'm wrong about them. Or do. I don't care. Um, But the way that I understand it is that he's punished, and his memory is basically wiped, mostly. And he gets sent down to Earth to live as a mortal. But he then, like, he goes and, like, finds Percy, and Percy takes him to Camp Half-Blood, and he goes on adventures or whatnot until he learns his lesson. Is there a reason why Percy is still... In the books? Yeah. Because Rick Rorden can't let him grow up. That's why. That's... (laughs) It's the same reason why Spider-Man has been in high school forever. That's why... Okay, this is why you need to do... Take a book, leaf out of my book, and Rick right in write himself as the villain of the story and have percy kill him and then you know what percy can be free okay it's a metaphor that's what i did oh i did the metaphor of being free of your storytelling i get it i did that i did that with uh sylvia 2012 version ah yes good old sylvia green yes and it it worked out for me (laughs) 
You're still <laughs> writing stories about her, so I don't know if it did. No, mostly just write, just keeping the names and changing everything else. Fair enough. Point. Fair enough. But yeah, yeah, like the fact that Percy is still in his series actually pisses me off. <laughs> it actively pisses me off because he keeps putting Percy in his books as a way to, like, get Percy Jackson fans interested in the new we, series. We also talked about this with Marvel and how if you put the superheroes together, the supporting characters you could have learned to love yeah. in their individual movies are just, they're not important. That's exactly what happens in the Heroes of Olympus series. The one thing that he did right with that series is Percy is not in the first book at all. He shows up at the very end and, like, that's fine. But then he's in the second book and he's the only one I care about. <laughs> I don't care about the other characters. <laughs> At all. I yeah. mean, Annabeth shows up and then she judo flips him and is very romantic. Okay. <laughs> don't read too into that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. What were we talking about? I can't remember. <laughs> I don't even... What? I... I, I blanked out. I don't even know. <laughs> oh, the gods never change. Yeah, they do. They never change. And it's... it Okay, wait. I was talking about Apollo and how it seems like Apollo changes. So it seems hypocritical that some of the gods are allowed to change. Hermes seems like he's evolved with the times. And he seems to be more... Yeah. Different, at least partially. More modern. So I find it hypocritical that some of the gods are allowed to be more modern, but others are not. Yeah. Especially once we actually meet Demeter. Yeah. Woo! And That's also, they only, like, really take action when it affects them, which I guess makes sense because they're immortal, and yeah. probably the lives of mortals don't matter to them because it's like, oh, they just die all the time. So, yeah, like, what they decide to do, they don't really care about the consequences it has unless... I will say... In terms of, like, um, whatever. Um, Artemis in the very last scene where, or not the very last scene, but when she's, like, when Zoe is dying and she's, like, crying over Zoe's body. It's really sweet. Artemis is the most likable of the gods that I have seen thus far. And when it's in the (laughs) Council of the Gods and the other gods are, like, maybe we should just kill all of these kids. And Artemis Uh is, like, no, we are going to give them we're gonna praise them and reward them because they're heroes. Mm-hmm. We love Artemis for that. Yeah, she's great. Yes, I. Well, she's both the best and the worst. Wait, why is she the worst? Because she hasn't evolved her idea of maidenhood. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. yes. Also, I know Rick Rorden was not thinking about this when he wrote these books, but does Artemis support trans women? If she doesn't, we're going to have to cancel her. We're going to say, yes, she does. Yeah, we're going to. She we're gonna. creates the Baldwin of her world. <laughs> Women in tri- Transdorm. That's at our college. Yes. <laughs> she, I think that if Rick Ryden had been not writing from his perspective. Or if he'd been writing it a decade later. <laughs> or just had someone else yeah give some basic suggestions like people can be suggested yeah like if he had 
more progressive people around him at that yeah, time of writing. He could have he could have done something really cool. He had an opportunity to do something really cool with the hunters in this yes. book because they were such a focus. He could have done so much and yeah. he just didn't. Yeah. And it's not like anything he would have done would have messed with the plot. It wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like that's one of my problems with um, Rick Gordon's modernization of Greek mythology. Because there are some times when he does it really, really well and it's really, really cool. And there are other times where he shoots and misses. Well, it's interesting what he chooses to modernize and what he chooses not to modernize. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can you speak on that more? Because that's a really cool thought. <laughs> it is a really cool thought, but it was also kind of like a... Half-formed thought. It was. It's more of like a soundbite. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he chooses not to modernize the hunters thing. It's basically exactly yeah. the same. And then he does choose to modernize all of their clothing, of course. Of um, course. And also he takes them to the u.s like that's a radical change mm-hmm. like that's pretty much the most radical change he makes is that he takes them to the u.s and does some bs west thing that we've talked about a million times yeah yeah <sighs> yeah oh oh i will say one thing that's a concept that's introduced in this book that you don't fully find out the reasoning for until you get to the heroes of olympus series the fact that the demigods can't live on the west coast I guess I know where I'm moving. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm about to ruin that for you. Um so the reason that we are told in this book that they can't re- live on the West Coast is because Specifically the, San Francisco. San Francisco is because the mountain of despair is there, which is where Atlas is now based. But also hell is in LA. <laughs> yes, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> as we've talked about. Yes. But once we get to the Heroes of Olympus series we find out that actually the real reason why our demigods in this series, in the Percy Jackson series, cannot live there is because they are Greek demigods and the Roman demigods live on the West Coast. That's where their camp is, Camp Jupiter. That's messed up. And they, the two camps do not know about each other until the Heroes of Olympus series. Um. Like the campers don't know about each other. Yeah, so I don't know how I feel about the fact that the Romans were prominent kind of after the the Greeks, and then they're the ones who are further west going by this. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Yes. I hadn't thought about that. I really just thought that they wanted Percy in New York. He's a very New York well, boy. Well, I'm sure that's the original reason. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, when you read into it like that, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, also, we're just going to ignore the whole middle of the U.S. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, you know what? This book at least takes us through the, that part. Other at least we get... even Yeah, we get to see much. the Southwest a bit in this book. Yes, it's clear that Rick Ryden has spent some time in the Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. He clearly has not spent enough time in the Midwest. Yeah, that's fine. Why Why don't you like us, Rick? He, because the Great Lakes are... If you say something bad about the Great Lakes, I will kick you out of this apartment. Because the Great Lakes if are not oh my considered... God. Are not considered cool until you actually learn about Lake Superior. 
Lake Superior is the worst one! Yes, but it's so cool. It's so wild. It thrashes. No! It's so oh cool. Oh my god. <laughs> You're such a Seattleite sometimes. <laughs> Dear listeners, in case I have not made it clear on this podcast. And it's so cold. Shut up. <laughs> I have never been angrier at you than Your I am at this moment. bodies are perfectly preserved. <laughs> Stop quoting... Ask the mortician. <laughs> okay, that was kind of a weird thing for me to say. It was. <laughs> Only because I know about it from that video. I know. Um. <laughs> okay, dear listeners, in case I haven't made it explicitly clear on this podcast, I am from the suburbs of Chicago. The Lake Michigan is the best great lake. It is the best lake in the world. The Great Lakes are the best bodies of water. Fuck That's- you, fight me. It's not hard to fight you on that. I'm pretty sure that the ocean is better. No, it's not. The ocean is big and scary and is always cold. Hmm. That sounds like a small viewpoint. Lake Michigan is plenty big for me. And okay. it's full, as, full of just as much pollution. I'm just saying that Rick Ryden should... Would, could have done something pretty cool with Lake Superior. I thought it would be really funny. Lake Superior isn't even entirely in the U.S. It's half Canada's. So, would give him an opportunity to expand his worldview. I've actually um, canoed on a lake that straddled the U.S. and Canada, and we accidentally went into Canada. Good for you. It was illegal. <laughs> we illegally crossed a border, and then we illegally crossed back. Nobody caught us. And hopefully nobody will, except, oh no, you're putting this on the internet. <laughs> it's been years at this point. Okay, also, um, Olympia, the Olympia legislature, Washington State legislature, do not check your security camera from... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! From, um, I can't remember if it was December 2019 or January 2020, but... Whatever it, it was. It was January. It, we didn't actually do anything illegal, but we it really looks around. like it really looks like we did. But we were do- not doing anything. We just looked. Okay, now we, we have trying to tell to get the a story. Picture. No, we were trying to get a picture. That is Sophie. Sophie was trying to get a picture of this building because she's a nerd for politics. And so the good friends that Quirk and I are. We were like, okay, let's go. But we didn't realize until we were leaving the building that we hadn't turned the lights of the car on. So we had been driving around this building for like half an hour, stopping at random places for Sophie to get out and take pictures without our lights on. It was It was also in the middle of the night. It was so. the middle of the night, yes. That, yeah, that's important. But, you know, it was. it, it is what it is. And we should move on. We're so off We're topic. Done. Why We're did you char- even bring that up? <laughs> we are done with characters. Let's move on to... Um, There's gotta be... There are so many... We haven't even talked about Talia. Oh, properly. I guess. Okay, fine. Let's talk about her. We didn't talk about Annabeth. We haven't Annabeth talked... Annabeth is not even in this book. <laughs> but we didn't talk about the matching gray streaks in their hair now, which is one of my favorite things. It sounds like Frozen. No! <laughs> what?! <laughs> there are no gray streaks in your hair in Frozen. Yeah, there are. What are you talking about? You know when Anna gets blasted? Oh, those are white streaks 
Thank you very much. Okay. And they go away? <laughs> okay, actually, one of my least favorite parts of the Heroes of Olympus series... I'm sorry I keep bringing it up. It's important. It's just... Rick, you had such an you had such an opportunity to do cool, do a cool thing, and you shit the bed with it, man. What did he do? He took away Percy's gray streak. It it doesn't seem that important, but it's a representation of this thing that they both did together. Well, it's, and also and then he washes so away with letter. He like goes through a river, and it gets rid of it. Yeah, well, that's also messed up because it's it's consistent with um, Rick Ryden prioritizing, like, the things that look normal in yeah. the series. And also, like, not taking into account the things that would cause trauma for characters. Yeah, and also, um, like, even in when Apollo was, like, saying that Thalia should drive the thing, she was afraid of heights, so she didn't do a good job. Yeah, but, um, terrible she, job. He said, Grover was like, said maybe, and then Apollo just said, too furry. Like, what? Well, it's kind of implied in that entire scene that Apollo really just wants an excuse to make Talia drive. Yes, but why would he go after that? I think it's because he's a satyr and, like... Okay, yeah, sure. But this is is consistent. Yeah, We talked about in the last one. Fair. That he doesn't, he doesn't flesh out anyone who's not humanoid. Yeah, and he specifically points out non-humanoid things in a negative way. Yeah, and also, you were right in that Grover gets less and less development as we move. Yeah, he's like barely in the next book. He shows up in the fifth book. Grover is, besides Luke, Grover might still be my fave just because he has... He came in so strong with an actual personality. Yeah. At this point, he's just comic relief. He's, com- he's like, not even comic relief. He- the thing with Grover is Grover is a very cool character, but from Percy's point of view, we just don't get to see him enough, and he's not a part of the main story enough. Yeah. But his individual story is really cool. Yes. And that's one of the places where I think there's... I honestly have not read that much Grover fan fiction, but I'm sure there's a bunch of great stories out there of people fleshing out what happens with him. Yeah, and also their friendship was the very first thing we saw in this series. Yeah. And the fact that it's kind of pushed aside is just... Mm -hmm. I find that very sad. And I feel like it is pushed aside specifically to make room for Tyson and Percy's friendship as though Percy can't have more than one friend. Well, no, it's a consistent thing. Rick Ryden gets rid of a person. To replace them with a new one, because, yes. Yeah, because he can only handle writing a few main friends yeah. at, at once. It's wonderful that you're able to recognize that this third book in. And yet, Rick, you couldn't fucking realize it about yourself, could ya? You had to go and write the Heroes of Olympus stories. Yeah. Oh, man, you're so, really fucked up. Yeah. So we got rid of Annabeth to make room for Thalia, and now we're getting rid of Thalia. To make room for Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Honestly, yes. Yes. She takes the place. Okay. Like that, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Annabeth comes back, and I guess 
maybe she replaces Grover more so. She definitely replaces Grover more so as a comic relief. Yeah, so... And as the character who, like, helps them out of tight spots. Yeah. Unexpectedly. It's... It's wild. And yeah. it's the thing is... Pick your three and stick with it. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> loving... Like, the changing around made sense for the second book, where there was an explicit reason why Grover wasn't, like, big in the story, and it made sense for this one, where Annabeth is explicitly taken out of the story. But after this, why can't we go back to having them be the main three? Yeah, well, the thing with this one is that I honestly don't think that taking away Annabeth and sidelining Grover was worth bringing in two new characters who were just there to be killed off. That's fair. Like, I think that it was good that we actually got real stakes in terms of people dying here. Mm-hmm. But... I will say, I think... I could have done with Zoe and not Bianca, maybe. Yeah, that seems fair. Like, we could have just had Zoe and then... I wouldn't say I. I'm, I mean, I'm fine with getting rid of Annabeth for one book as long as they don't do it again. And I will say I really like the fact that her being gone makes Percy have to confront the fact that he really does like her. Yeah, and also I do think that it was good to if focus on Thalia. If you're yes. if you're going to focus on Thalia Especially, for like a very short yeah. period of time, might as well make it count. And especially. I love seeing the development. It's small, but like the development in her and between Talia and Zoe in this book, especially because it's like a setup for Talia to take over Zoe's position in the Hunters. Yeah. Like I like it a lot. Yeah, I I figured like I I knew it was coming and I remember it happened. Um Mm-hmm. It was one of those things that I think could have been given so much more emotional weight. Mm-hmm. Um, especially given the fact that Thalia has a really interesting backstory. Oh, you like, don't even get her entire backstory until the Heroes of Olympus. I know. She was a fucking tree. That has got to be messed up. And she was still aging, so it wasn't like she was like... Slowly, but yes. Yeah, but she she wasn't, like, completely unconscious. Yeah, yeah. And actually, okay, I hadn't really thought about um, Luke and Talia and Annabeth's ages when they were together beforehand until this read-through. I guess I had always kind of thought that they were all different ages, where Luke was the oldest, Talia was, like, middle, and then Annabeth was the youngest. Yeah. But given how old... Um, Talia is supposed to be, or they say it in, like, the beginning of this book, I think. Twelve. She was supposed to be twelve. Luke was also supposed to be twelve. So they were the same age. They were the same age. Luke was a little bit older than her, maybe, like, a year, couple of months or something. But they were the same age, and it is very clearly implied in this book that Talia could have developed feelings for Luke. Really? At some point. I think so. I wasn't getting that vibe. What I did get as a vibe was that um, when Luke was saying, like, we used to talk about hating the gods all the time, I thought mm-hmm. that that was, that was something that I was like, oh, I, I would have loved to take this opportunity to explore... That from Talia's point of view? Yeah, and also just like a, hey, 
this is kind of like just a recognition of yeah this is really messed up but Mm. hey destroying the world would be worse yeah i feel like that's talia's position but luke after talia gets turned into a tree just becomes so hateful towards the gods that he's easily manipulated yeah and i thought that it would be it would have been interesting if Mm -hmm. he could have been a little bit more um when she came back as not a tree, he could have been, like, a little bit more... Just ha- experienced some doubt just a little bit. Yeah. But... He is described as very sickly in this book. Yeah, it's very concerning, and, um... Oh. My, f- my fave, mm-hmm. Luke, come on. <laughs> the one this. other thing I want to say is the reason why I was kind of interpreting it as, like, maybe they would have, like... Like, Talia could have developed feelings for Luke eventually is because they were so close. They had that unique bond, and they were basically parenting Annabeth while they were on the run together. Yeah. And, like, it makes sense that Annabeth has a crush on Luke because he's, like, hot older guy who took care of me and protected me. Yeah, but were you getting straight vibes from Talia? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't i also don't want to automatically assume that she's just like not into guys at all just because she's described as being a little bit quote-unquote punk looking also she's clearly into guys she had that one comment oh about apollo yeah yeah um also rick if you need to describe your character as being punk looking you don't know what that means (laughs) (laughs) just just describe what you're talking about don't put a label on it yeah it's really cringy and has not (laughs) aged well not in like a bad way it just it doesn't read well now where like yeah i just at least i can picture her better than i can picture annabeth that's fair yeah that's fair she's also more deeply described i think or uniquely she has a more unique look than anyone else yeah um so, I think she existed. This, yeah, this is a fan fiction take, I guess. It's, Talia is obviously bi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my problem with Thalia yes. is that why would you bring her back if you're just going to do away with her? Well, it's implied that Kronos wanted to bring her back um, from a no, from a writing perspective, okay. Why would you bring her back if you're just going to use her for one book and then, and then because and because she's too powerful and kind of take is a spotlight sucker, just put her away. Like yeah, I think it makes sense from a plot point of view. I think from a writing point of view, it allows us to explore the feelings of jealousy that Percy feels and that. Yeah, and also, like, at the same time, give him give him a moment where he's not alone. Yeah, and he's not the only person who the prophecy could be about. Yeah. And I do think that this entire... This book, one of the main themes of this book is accepting prophecies and oh, choosing to either reject or accept prophecies. Like, it, we start out with... Chiron literally saying, like, we have to accept that there will be deaths on this quest. 
Yeah, and then and, Thalia rejects it. And Thalia literally outright joins the hunters as a way to reject the prophecy. She tells Zeus, this will not be, this prophecy will not be about me. Because she's supposed to turn 16, like, the yeah. next day. So if she hadn't become immortal and thus not never aging at that exact moment in time, the prophecy would have been about her. Maybe. I think it's implied that whichever the next child of big three to turn 16, so, like, whoever gets there first. Okay, so it would yeah. have been her. Yeah, it would have been her. Which I think is why Kronos wants her back in the game because it just like adds another chaos thing in there and i guess it would make him do something sooner but i guess yeah it it's kind of yeah i just i like that rick ryden had the guts to write a character who was as powerful as percy yeah that is something that people are very reluctant to do to their chosen one main characters mm-hmm. is to div- but then it is very sus when the only character who you have who is as powerful as the main character is um, just thrown to the side i think this is also something that rick Horton has a bad habit of doing where he continually creates characters who are supposed to be stronger than percy and uses them to, like, make Percy feel bad about himself. Percy. Like, this, the exact same thing happens with Jason, who is Talia's brother, in the next, in the next series. Okay. He's, he, uh, Jason's a son of Jupiter. Um, their mom basically managed to fuck both the Greek and Roman version (laughs) so oh my god yeah (laughs) that's so weird that's like that's talia's full backstory like the reason she ran away okay wait i'm just gonna majorly spoil this for you because i feel like you should know Uh this context because it's really fucking stupid yeah and i feel like you'll get a kick out of it but the reason why talia originally ran away from home is because her mom gave birth to Jason, her little brother. And then Hera was so pissed off that this woman, this mortal woman, had managed to seduce her husband twice. (laughs) That she demanded that Jason was, like, basically sacrificed to her. So Hera takes away Jason from this family and the mother gives up her son (laughs) in order to avoid Hera's wrath and you know Talia is understandably upset about this yeah her brother has just been given away she does not know if he's alive or dead and Mm -hmm. she doesn't ever see him again until we get to the heroes of Olympus stories and he doesn't remember her he only has the vaguest member- memories of Talia, whereas she remembers him very vividly and mm-hmm. had thought that he was dead all of these years, but wow. actually he was just at the Roman camp. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so that's Talia's full backstory. Yeah, but... And that's also part of why she has so many mixed feelings towards her mom. Yeah, but also this is why Percy is a Gary Stew because Rick Ryden can't stand having a character be more powerful than him. 
sort of i feel like he can't he's like a self-deprecating mary sue gary stew almost where like he can't literally that is a that is a, a trait that is common among them fair i i feel like it's more so that rick rorden is a self-deprecating writer where it feels almost like percy is supposed to be his self-inserty I don't get the feeling that he's a self-insert of Rick Ryden. I don't think he's a direct self-insert, but I I think feel he's like, inserting his kids. Yeah, or and <laughs> the, or maybe like living vicariously through, but isn't willing to do it wholeheartedly and thus continuously gives Percy doubts and doesn't let him act. Like, when you see Percy from other characters' points of view in the Heroes of Olympus stories... Like, he is the most powerful demigod because he has so much experience coupled with his powers. Another Gary Stu thing. Yeah, but, like, he's never allowed to feel that. He never feels powerful. Which I get is a complete Gary Stu thing, but it's also really sad to read. And it's like, dude, you're one of the most powerful demigods on this planet. Why are you doubting yourself? You got this, bro. Calm down. Yeah, he got this, but he needs to take a class that tells him about um, the problems with imperialism. I mean, he needs to go to college. <laughs> he does no. He does not need to go to college. Fair. He doesn't need to go to college. He just needs. He just needs to know some things. He, he needs, needs to be educated. He on needs some to stuff. get outside of the of his the own Greek world. God. He, yeah. He yeah. needs. He needs outside. That's fair. Because you don't, you don't, if you were that powerful, you cannot afford to have a limited worldview. That's very true. He does have a very limited worldview, and mm-hmm. it's not great. I will say, I find it really funny. This is a very different. I find it very funny that he can never remember all of the um, Greek myths in his head. And <laughs> everyone always has to remind him for the reader. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's for the reader, but it also kind of makes sense with him as a character. Where, like, he's kind of set up to be a little bit dumb in, like... He's dumb in an academic sense. He's very street smart. Oh, yeah. He is academically not the brightest. Which is okay. Yeah. I just find it really funny. <laughs> okay. Um, we've been all over the place. W- let's move on from character, finally. We've, we don't need to talk about world building. We've talked about that so yeah. much. I'm sure we'll get... Oh, wait. The one thing I want to mention is those um, the angel statues. Yeah. This is the first time in the series where we see statues come to life and have personalities. That will come back up in the last book. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I just, it's really fun seeing these things foreshadowed and being like, oh, these characters are going to come back in the final battle. Like, that's really cool to me. Or maybe not these characters, but like this concept. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder what they think of the Bible. The, the angel statues? <laughs> no, the gods. Oh, the gods. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, are they jealous of the Bible? I bet they're jealous of the Bible. You know? Um, it depends on if 
the Bible is like if the the God of the Bible is real in this world. It doesn't matter if the God is real or not. I think it does because then there is a possibility <laughs> that the Greek gods know that God. and <laughs> They probably don't like that God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because that the God is a Gary Stew. <laughs> you know? So it's really funny. <laughs> One of the more interesting things that's introduced in the Heroes of Olympus stories is that instead of the Greek and Roman gods being separate entities, they're in the same body. They just personality switch sometimes. That, oh, that is so weird. It's really weird. I can't. I it can't brings with that. up some problematic conversations of disassociative identity disorder, and DID, also just consent and consent. Yes, you are correct. Oh gosh. Um, but. Also, why is Hera mad for both Jupiter and Zeus having sex with Thor's well, mom? Well, it, it's more so, it's <laughs> it's that he continually cheats on her, and this time he cheated on her twice with the same woman. <laughs> <laughs> like, he couldn't even cheat on two separate women, and it had to be with the same woman, and that showed that that woman was important. And, like, worth revisiting, which, you know, makes Hera jealous. Uh-huh, okay. And, you know, she has a bad rep of being jealous. Yeah. It's okay, we still love her. She tries. Also, doesn't Thalia's mom die? Yes, Thalia's mom does die in a drunk driving accident. We yes. find that out in this book that we just read. Um, but anyways, what I was saying about the uh, gods having multiple personalities, kind of, is I feel like they would be very confused by the god of the Bible, because yeah. they would be like, how can you hold so many opposing views in <laughs> one body? Are you not mad? <laughs> yeah, or also just like, uh, like, why? <laughs> just, just like, why do you know everything? <laughs> <laughs> why is there only one of you? <laughs> or like, that's really lonely. Oh. <laughs> or like, just like all the prophets, you know? I kind of like the idea that they would be like, they would kind of pity him. Yeah, or whoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying him because they call yeah. him in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Whatnot. Um, I like that idea. That's really fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you're alone for eternity? Well, we have family drama if you want to join. <laughs> I'm sure someone will fuck you if you want yeah. to. Yeah, well... I also don't think that the in this wor- this series world um the bible god would be like have a form that is yeah that's fair I think it would be a shapeshifter Yeah he would also like yeah that god would have to be very disconnected from the world i feel like like the greek gods in their myths were always like very close to humanity yeah but the god of the bible is very far away what if this god is just missed like the mist yes. in the book i thought you were talking about something else for a second oh <laughs> i just got it I just you got just it. got it okay yeah. <laughs> What if it's just, like, a force thing, you know? Yeah, that's kind of funny. What if, um, <laughs> what's the what's the thing that the Jedis have in their blood that makes them powerful? 
midichlorians? Midichlorians! What if midichlorians are real in this world as well? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's just make it a dumpster fire while we're at it. Oh my gosh. And I, I wonder what these Greek gods would think of Jesus. I feel like they would just be very confused. Jesus, Jesus is so cool. Is he? Yeah. Well. Have you, have you read about Jesus? It's pretty cool. He's cool, but he also <laughs> wanted, he also believed in converting people, which Christians have taken way too far. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's a better person than Hercules. That's a really <laughs> low bar. That is the lowest bar you could have given. Yeah. Out of all the Greek heroes, Hercules is who you choose to go with? I don't really know the other ones. I only know Hercules and Perseus, and that's it. Perseus would have been a better option. Mm-hmm. Hercules literally... It was in a fit of madness... Put on him by Hera, but he literally killed his wife and children. Oh my gosh. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Why? Oh my gosh. That's why he had to do the, the, thing is, the trials. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Since we have now. We're f- solidly in fan fiction <laughs> takes. We've. But <laughs> in like pretty horrible fan fiction takes where we're talking about other religions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, one last thing I want to say. I think it's really interesting how they made Zoe a. How Rick made Zoe a daughter of Atlas. It is one of the times where he has taken the most liberty with adding someone into Greek mythology and making her a part of Hercules' story. And honestly, I think he did a really good job with it. Yeah. Like, I think it added to the story and it added to Percy's story in a very cool way that I appreciated a lot. I thought that Zoe was... I didn't mind having Zoe around. I thought... Again, I think that Bianca was pretty unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. She was there to die. Yep. But I think Zoe was really cool in that she had had a lot of bad experiences with heroes in the past. Yeah. And she was a vehicle to both show that to Percy and to give him a chance to acknowledge what he doesn't want to be. Yeah, with the Hunters, I would have liked if they didn't go the the complete boy-hating angle. Exactly. That's one of the parts I hate about it the most. The thing is, like... It didn't anger me that much. Like, the the maidenhood thing angered me way more. And, like, the yeah. punishments for them angered me way yeah. more. Because the thing is, it's kind of funny. It mm-hmm. was kind of funny, like, having him be, like... Having all these people, like, look at all these boys really... Yeah. Mostly. But it would have been really funny if that's what they thought the whole thing was about. Then Artemis would be like, hey, hey, now. This is not what we're about. Yeah. I feel like that part was really fun to read when I was younger, but reading it now as a more mature person who's like, hey, it's actually not a personality trait to hate boys. Yeah. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Yeah, but I thought, I think it would be, 
like an interesting thing that people as young as the people who would be joining Artemis yeah. would probably fall into. Yeah. And that's part of why it was funny when I was younger. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, boy's yucky. But then Artemis <laughs> should know better. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like how Artemis reinforced that belief. Yeah. Even though in mythology she had that one boy that she liked. Just like... They just need to be Baldwin personified. No. <laughs> I don't want that. Why not? I feel like Quirk would agree with me here. Why? What's wrong with Baldwin? I think Baldwin was a fine community. I think there were certain people in it that were less fine. Well, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not I don't saying know that it's going want... to be a good community, but I'm just saying like the attitudes that people oh, have in Baldwin would okay. make sense as something that people who are hunters would have. That is a fair point. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. And that there would be a few hypocrites who would be, um... They would say that they're really into the community, but then they're sneaking boys in. Type of thing. Well, that wasn't as bothersome as people who are being transphobic. Ah. But... (laughs) Obvious. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like, people who wouldn't respect the rules and would sit on things without clothes on. Okay, we have... Thoroughly talked about Oberlin too much in this episode, <laughs> as well as talking about Christianity too much in this episode. Let's do ratings and conclusions. Let's do ratings. I think we need to be done. I wanted this episode to be shorter. It's gonna end up being at we least an hour. We can cut out and a, half. a lot of stuff. Oh, but I'm editing this one, so you, you better know let I'm me not edit. Go- no, I'm editing this one. We don't need. So I'm much editing stuff. this one. This is fucking hilarious. It is not hilarious. It is off topic. We don't need it. Hey, hey, dear listeners, please uh, message me on Instagram because I'm the one in charge of our Instagram, and let me know. Do you like it when we get off topic? I think it's really funny, but I hate Sophie it. hates it, and. I- she would it, never voluntarily listen to this podcast, whereas I have voluntarily listened to our okay, podcast for fun. Next time we are we are having the structure in front. of It's us. not going to happen. No, I'm going to get off topic. I you just can know get it. off topic, but next time I'm going to work to get you back on topic. And then it's just going to feel forced. I yes, but it, with the structure, it's going to go shorter. I don't know if that's good. It is. Hey, good. hey, dear listeners, just message me. Let me know. Let me know what you think. I need some opinions on this you so that I can prove so You this part when we're just talking I'm not this. going to. <laughs> okay, so ratings and conclusions. How would you rate this book? I think this gets a four out of five. I, so I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far to say it, it's okay, but I do think it is better than the other one, so I'm going to give it, the other one, so I'm going to give it a 1.5 out of five. Fair enough. I think nostalgia rating for me, this one's probably a four out of five. I feel like the others were closer to a three out of five, but these middle books are more of a four out of five. The first and last book are definitely lower on the nostalgia rating for me. You not nostalgic for the last book? It's not that I'm not nostalgic for it. It's that I, I know that story. I know the story of that book so well. Okay. I've like replayed it in my heads and reread it multiple times. Like, there's not a lot of nostalgia there. I love it, oh. but it's not nostalgia. Yeah, I... Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. 
So what's your nostalgia rating for this one? Um, the thing is, like, I did get some... I When I was reading, I did, like, kind of get some memory of when I was first reading it. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. The books we've read on this podcast, the ones that I've all read already, are books that I have reread a bunch. So I don't... I haven't gotten that um, flashback to when I was first reading it. And so... In general, these books have been way more, even though I don't remember specifics, they've been way more vivid as I've been reading, remembering exactly how I felt when I first read the book. Mm-hmm. So I would have to say that my nostalgia rating, I'm going to give it like a three. Nice. But. Which is very high for Sophie. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I got, I kind of got the, I got to give it to 11 year old Sophie here. I think. I think I had some very good points then, mm-hmm. and I agree with them now. Mm-hmm. It's really funny to me that you read these books before I did. I read them on a Kindle. Yeah, you read them in Hungary, which was fifth grade. I didn't read them until sixth grade. It, I Well, it was sixth grade for me. Hungary was sixth grade. It was? Oh, then we read it at the same time. Then you were 12, not 11. It's possible we were... No, I was 11. What? Age is fake. Sixth grade is 11 to 12. It is? Yeah. Oh, you're so right. <laughs> oh, numbers. Hate them. Um, if you were a character in this book, who would you be? Dorna, I didn't get to talk about my fave Luke. Yes, you did. You had your obligatory Luke is right in the Luke is earlier. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to say Luke. Okay, you do that. I think in this one, I will go with Talia. Yeah. I'll go with Talia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I like the way that Sophie said yeah when I said that. <laughs> to be honest, I I related to Zoe's negativity. <laughs> like, I'm still going Luke. Okay. Maybe you can be a combo of Luke and Zoe. That's not a combo I would ever like to see. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> the world I take does it not back. Need that combo. Okay. Those were our ratings. The character who I aspire to be is Kronos. What? <laughs> Why must you say such upsetting things? Because I want to, I want them to succeed. I literally despise you. Okay. Well, anyways, that's all for this week. And it's actually all for this week. Yes. So this is the third Percy Jackson book that we're doing. Uh, we're releasing all three of these episodes on the same day, so you get to listen to, what, like, five, six hours of our voices. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, torture for you. <laughs> I told my my dad, asked how long each of these episodes were, and I was like, I mean, the first one was like two hours, and he was like, what? I'm begging you to let me edit this one so I can edit it down. No, I'm not letting you. Dude, no. You, okay, if you are... On, not on track to finish at a certain point, I'm taking the episode from you. You're so mean. I'm gonna finish it now just because you said that. <laughs> and I'm leaving this part in. Just so you know. No! Anywho, 
So in two weeks time, you will get another multi-episode drop. We will be reading the final two books, The Battle of the Labyrinth and The Last Olympian. And then we will finally be done with reading Percy Jackson. Finally! Not that I don't love that we get to talk about it. It's just, it's a lot. And I'm awful. You're not awful. You just have opinions that I really disagree with. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WTKA underscore podcast. And on our website, link in the description. Read my Twitter. I have thoughts. (laughs) Read our Twitter. It's mostly Sophie. Sophie's in charge you of the Twitter. Tweet. You can tweet too. You have no, no, no. You have the Twitter. I'll have the Instagram. It's only fair. Okay. So, anyways, thanks for listening. Stop, Stop with, with the, the prophecies, prophecies already, and have a great day. Whoa, I do hate prophecies.